for other people's approval. So it's either for me or for you, but, all, but it's, it's not something that we're doing to honor God. But, you know, behind all of that is a trap. And we're going to observe David's life, and he was doing things for his good. But behind being served by that good that he thought was coming was a trap that was set for him by the enemy, that old serpent, all the way back from the Garden of Eden, the devil. And I want to like just remind you guys, before we get into the story of David, the same story is true for you, that there will be things that look like you want to lean in for your good and for the good of others, but just know that behind that is a trap. It's been set that you would be caught, that you'd be pierced with an arrow, that you would be dead to God. That's the trap. It looks good, but it's actually not. So our goal tonight, and I have this in the notes, is to watch a man of great favor in God's eyes take a dramatic fall into sin and then watch how God responds. So again, our goal tonight is to watch a man of great favor in God's eyes take a dramatic fall off into a ditch of sin, and then we will find how God responds. So I would like uh, those four bullets, and you can fill in these words. The first one, I'd like for you to see yourself as David in his weakness. So a lot of times when we look at David, we think about David and Goliath in his strength, and we can think of things like, man, I can also beat the giants in my life. But instead, what I would like to encourage you to think about is, identifying and seeing yourself as David, but in his weakness. And you will, you know, none of us are going to kill like nine, ten-foot giants, but all of us are going to sin. It's way easier to identify ourselves in the weakness of the characters in the Bible than it is in the strength. The second bullet, see God as good in his gracious response. So I'd like you to Identify the weakness in your own life. And then I'd like to, like David's, and then I'd like you, like we see God responding to David with goodness, I would like you to see God responding to your sin with goodness. Number three, or the third bullet, see Jesus as your means of God's gracious response. So the way by which God responds to you is through a man named Jesus. And fourth, see repentance as the desirable response. See repentance as the desirable response when presented with forgiveness through Jesus. So it's, it's a road. It's a road. So you'll see your weakness, and then you'll see God's goodness as a result of your weakness. And then you'll see his means by which he's going to be good to you. And then as a result, there's a response that has to take, take place. And what you have to see is desirable in that response is repentance is necessary. And, that, and you'll, be, you'll, see it, you'll see that repentance, and then the hope is you'll, you'll, when you're presented with that forgiveness, you'll see it as, wow. This is unbelievable that this would be God's response to my dramatic fall. So each of us can relate to David in his weakness. And we're going to read through his story now. And I want you to observe David's great weakness. 
And then we're going to find God's goodness in the middle of that story. And I would like you to posture yourself. Let's just take a moment to think. I would like you to, let's all look at me. I know y'all are writing notes and stuff, so thank you for doing that. But I'll, let's take a mo moment and just look at me for a second right before we read this. I would like you to let this story sit in your sin. And by that I mean I would like you to allow the sin in your life to, to become real because often we don't think about our sin as real. It's just another day. But when these things happened to David, man, it was real. It was a game changer. This is wild. This is dramatic. So is your sin, so is my sin, a wild and dramatic thing. But often we live and we get numb to that sin. That, that sin quiets. Have you ever had like a sprained wrist or a sprained ankle? And then you learn after four or five days to just kind of live with it. It's getting better, but you also know how to live with it or a hurt toe, or whatever it might be, but you know how to compensate so that you don't feel that pain as much because you've learned how to work through the pain. Sin is a lot like that. It doesn't necessarily go away, but we just learn how to work through it. How to like, you know, the pain is still there, but we'll just keep on trucking. I don't want you to keep working through the pain tonight. I want tonight that sin in your life, I want it to jump up right into your face and let God present that sin to you as something to be repented of, but let his goodness overwhelm you, much like we're going to see David. So for those of you who have been putting off and putting off what is true repentance in your life, tonight is a night where we can find, through God's word, true rep repentance, grace and mercy, and a real turning from those things. So let's read these scriptures together, Second Samuel chapter 11, um, verse 2. We're going to have it up there. So is this ESV? I can't hear you. Okay, we'll just read it up here. It happened. What happened? That's a great start. Late one afternoon, when David arose from his couch, so old boy was just sitting on the couch, y'all, probably watching TV before it's time. This is a real-life guy, had a couch, sitting down, hanging out, just like you, just like me, and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. You know, not all sin is as obvious as this, but this is an obvious trap, right? I mean, if you were at the other building on the other couch, and you saw David get up from his couch, and you saw a lady, and for whatever reason, they had baths back then on top of roofs. It was just an ideal situation. I'm not quite sure why. And you saw David get up from his couch, and you, you were on that couch, and you saw what was going to happen. You might shout out, yo, 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 don't, don't walk that way, you might say, right? That way, it's a trap. There's a woman over there. She's got a husband. You got a wife. And by the way, her husband is one of your best friends. You should leave it alone. Walk the other way. That's a trap. Our sin is just like that, though. For a lot of people, we would be looking, and some of your friends, you're looking at your other friend, you're like, whoa, 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 dude, this is so obvious. But for us in that moment, sin is not that obvious. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. And David sent and inquired about the woman. You know, 
he took it to the next step. And one said, is not this Bathsheba? Is it, is it kind of interesting that she, the first time he saw her, she was taking a bath? And her name is Bathsheba. Did y'all get that? Isn't that weird? All right. And the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him. So he, get that girl for me. And she came to him, and he laid with her. Now, she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness, and then she returned to her house, so he sent her away. And the woman conceived. She sent and told David, I am going to be your baby mama. So David sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. Now remember, Uriah the Hittite is the husband of the girl. And Joab sent Uriah to David. They knew each other. Uriah was one of David's closest guys. He was a baller. He was a warrior. He was a brave soldier in David's crew. So when Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Imagine, imagine if you saw from the couch all this go down and then he summons the husband and then he's like hey how are you man you've been good how's the battle how are the people and you're like really you're gonna get to it dude or what so then David said to Uriah go down to your house and wash your feet and Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king but Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. This was a man of integrity. He should have been on the battlefield and David's sending him home to be with his wife. And he's like, nope, if my boys can't be home with their wives, I'm not going to be home with my wife. So I'm going to sleep at the door to make sure that I stay with integrity and focused. I'm supposed to be at battle. So when they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? So now he's trying to manipulate him a little bit. Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark in Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my Lord, Joab, and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. You see what he was trying to do? He was trying to force the husband back home to the wife so that he and his wife could be together. And maybe in nine months when a baby shows up, Uriah would be like, I'm baby daddy. David has take a taken a dramatic dive into sin. He looks like an awful person right now. All of his people are out battling for him and on his behalf. He's at the house, hanging out on the couch, finding other people's wives, 
dragging the husbands back home, trying to set the situation up to where he would be excused from the sin in his life and he could avoid the consequences. But this other man was such a man of integrity, was like, no, I will not go. So David's like, fine. If this plan isn't going to work for me to figure out how to hide from my sin, how to act like it's no big deal, I got another idea. So in the letter he wrote to the commander of the army, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. So now he's going to kill him. This is how obsessed David is with hiding his sin. He doesn't want to have anyone looking at him. He doesn't want anyone to know about the things that he's done. And man, it's just like that in life, isn't it? Have you ever gone to lengths, great lengths, to avoid the consequence of your sin, to avoid other people finding out about it, lie again and again and again and again just so that you might be made to look good? Because if so, you're just like this guy. And I know I've been there. I relate way more to his weakness than I do throwing a stone inside of a sling and sinking into a head and taking his sword and cutting off the giant's head. Do y'all relate more to that part of David or this part of David? And as Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. So he found the battle the bravest, the best men from the opposing side. And he said, that's the place where I'm going to put this man. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. And he instructed the messenger, when you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then... If the, if the king's anger rises, and if he says to you, why did you go so near the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also, So Joab's trying to save his own butt because the, the battle's sinking down into the earth on his side as well. And then he instructs the messenger, hey, when David gets mad that we're awful at our job, just say, hey, Uriah's dead. And see what happens. So he says, your servant Uriah's dead. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, the men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field, but we drove them back to the entrance of the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. David said to the messenger, thus shall you say to Joab, do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. His, his army's losing. People are dying. And he says, go back and tell Joab, oh, you'll be fine. Sometimes it just happens like this. Because he finally thought, I'm saved. 
My sin can't find me out. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. What a dramatic fall. This this was the same guy who saved that army of people when he was just maybe a teenager. We talked about this Wednesday. Somewhere between 16 and 19 years old, he picked up that sling and sunk it into his head, and everyone was cheering over David, and everyone thought David was the man, and golly, this guy, God is finally going to use somebody to make us great. And just a few short years later, you find him taking some of those people, one of those guys' wives for himself, finding a way to kill the husband. This is the same guy. You ever feel like that's your life? You ever feel like you know what it's like to be here, but then your story quickly advances and changes and gets over there? Well, it's going to be true of all of us. That's all of our lives. As long as we are alive, as long as we have breath and our heart beats, we are going to be tempted to sin. This is us. This is not some guy from thousands of years ago. This is the life that we live, that a guy that is favored by God, that God looks upon him and at one point says, he is a man after my own heart, yet you find him in situations like this. So the next bullet you can fill in, sin often presents itself as a beautiful gift to be enjoyed. Sin often presents itself as a beautiful gift to be enjoyed. You know, when old boy got up from his couch and saw saw a bath in the bath, he thought it was a beautiful gift to be enjoyed. You know, sin, before you really get into sin and you really sink in deep and start learning about the consequences, when you're on the outside, looks like a gift looks like a gift. Our hearts, the next bullet, our hearts are inclined towards sin by nature, but we must, must, I'm sorry, I left out a word, must not pursue, I, I didn't put that word not in, I think. We must not pursue the temptation to sin. We must not pursue the temptation to sin. Let's just use the illustration of his temptation. He gets up off the couch. He sees the temptation. Here, this is true. This will both free you up and instruct you. Temptation is not sin. Have you ever been tempted to sin? Have you ever had, and let's just stay in your mind for a minute. Have you ever had fiery darts from the enemy come and hit your brain? And then you have a sense of resist, you pray, you ask God to help, but then you walk away and you're overcome with guilt and shame. Temptation is not the same as sin. That 
should free some of you up. We're all tempted. He didn't know when he was getting up off the couch. At least the Bible doesn't illustrate that he knew. But I know this is true in life. And let's assume he did not know. He didn't know that bath was going to be taking a bath. So he might set his eyes on it for a moment, but you know in that moment, do you think that God had the grace in store for David to resist that temptation? When you are tempted to sin in your mind or with your eyes or with your body or with your words, do you believe that there is a way to resist that temptation? Do you believe there is a difference between temptation and sin? Because there is a difference between the two, and there is a way out. And David had a way out. You, I, we have a way out. And I just want to remind you, being tempted is not the same as sinning. We will always face those temptations. Even the devil came to Christ and he tempted Christ, the temptation of Jesus, the Bible talks about. But Jesus resisted the temptation with the word of God. And so for those of you, just a little quick bullet, who have been experiencing shame and guilt simply because of a temptation that you have been resisting and maybe you're starting to tell yourself or the enemy is telling you that's who you are. The only reason you're thinking those things or the only reason that desire is there is because it's who you are. It's how you're supposed to be. There's no way to get around it. I want to tell you that's not true. There's a difference. Temptation is not the same as sin. And you and I have the ability to resist temptation without assuming it is our identity and it is who we are and it is what we should do and it is one day what we will do because if I didn't want to do it, why would I be having this temptation anyway? And I can't speak to all of those things, but I can tell you this, we're all tempted to do some pretty gnarly things. And if I did everything I was tempted to do, you would think I'm a gnarly dude. And I would think the same of you. But there's a difference. Next bullet. Consequences are sure to follow in the footsteps of sin. I'm going to tell you another truth that is a bummer of a truth. It is a disappointing truth. But consequences will come. Do you think... Do you think the story ends right here? So the Lord was displeased with the things that David had done. Do you think it ends there? It doesn't. There's more to come on the other side. And that wreaked havoc on the generations in his life to follow. That decision to do that one thing followed him down deep into his life. You know, when we were with the testimony time earlier where Terrence was telling his testimony and, um, you know, there was something, either a Q&A portion or he just shared it, but how things in the past stay with in the present. Not everything, but things. And that's part of people's story. Is that those areas that they jumped into sin, you, you don't just walk away and leave them behind and, and like, Forget about them forever. 
There is a real reason to resist sin. You don't want to bring this stuff into your future. Of course, number one, it's about God. Honoring Him, glorifying Him, making much of Him. In addition to that, what is true is that those things will creep in your life. There is great reason to resist temptation. It always looks like it's coming as a gift, but consequences are sure to follow. The fourth bullet there, we are often tempted to minimize the act of sin. And we seek to escape the consequences. Question for you. Like David, he takes this man's wife, and then he calls the husband home, and he attempts to minimize what he did by taking the husband and saying, hey, why don't you go get with your wife and just spend some time with her, completely avoiding what just happened. You see, he didn't bring, not, nowhere did he bring it up. He was trying to minimize his sin. Have you minimized your sin? Have you made just a little thing out of it? And have you attempted to avoid the conversation? Have you intended to try to get some other people in the picture and then some other thing to take the place and the attention that rightly belongs on you onto something else? That's what I said earlier. I wanted you guys to think about your sin coming to the surface and actually looking at it and not minimize it like David did. And he attempted to run from the consequences. He was trying to escape. But we are not the puppeteers of life. Y'all know what a puppeteer is? What David was trying to do is he had those strings, and he had all of these, he was treating people like they were his puppets, and he was working it and working it, and he was putting on a show. He's, he's not the one who holds the strings. And not that God is a puppeteer, so I'm not illustrating that. But we like to try to puppeteer. And we like to try to hold the strings. Have you tried to hold the strings? You know what that feels like? You know what it feels like to run out of energy in holding the strings? And like one cover-up leads to another cover-up leads to another cover-up, and you just have to live a life of cover-up? It gets tiring, doesn't it? There's, there's another way, and it's to drop the strings, and it's to look at the sin, to not minimize it, to speak to, like, real life, like, this is where I am, this is what I have done, and then to go to the place where we can go, that we'll find good, good news here in a few minutes in these bullets, but there is another way to respond to your sin. Do not minimize it and do not try to escape it. It won't work. Last bullet there. Sin calls for more sin to follow. Sin calls for more sin to follow. His life. Caesar gets her. What now? Get the husband. Send him out, doesn't work. Now what? Send him out again. Now what? Kill him. Sin upon sin upon sin. It 
calls for more. But God calls for repentance to follow after sin. Sin calls for more sin. But God calls for repentance to follow sin. Which track are you on? Are you on the track that sin is calling for more sin? Or are you on the track that when you sin, you go to repentance? And this is the path to go. So 2 Samuel chapter 12, we'll speed up just a little bit. Let's see the fallout and the results of what happened after this thing displeased the Lord. Verse 1 through 7. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Real life stuff, another person. Remember the guy on the couch Hops up, gets over there. Remember, I was like, man, what if there had been another guy on a couch? What if you'd have been on a different couch? Would you have jumped up and said something? Well, all of a sudden, God sends a guy who wasn't there in that moment, but he sends a guy to speak to David about the sin. He came to him and he said to him, there were two men in a certain city. One was rich, one was poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing but one little lamb, which he had bought. Now, this speaks to David's past life, okay? This speaks to David's past life. He was a shepherd. So Nathan gets up in front of him and starts speaking his language. I mean, it's like right up his alley. He understands this situation precisely. There's not anything abstract. Like, you tell us this story, we're like, well, yeah, we know the moral of the story. But for him, he watched this stuff happen. He knew there was emotion, there was passion behind this type of story for him. This was his vocation, his career, his dad's career. Like, this was a big deal. And he brought it up, this this poor man did, and it grew up with him and with his children. I mean, David could have been thinking maybe he had a favorite lamb back then. And that lamb grew up with him, and he, that was, you know, Sparky or something. Like, there was a favorite in the house that grew up with that family. This is real life. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Anybody have a pet that they just love? This is what he's illustrating. Like, like you would, you know, if you ever see dogs and people own dogs, and, like, the they they let the dogs lick them on the mouth. Ew, like the lamb, so sus. But like that's a real thing. Or people are like super affectionate. So so Nathan's like, hey, you know, like this is a really tight, like this is a caring situation. He's trying to illustrate great love between the shepherd and the sheep. And hey, there came a traveler to the rich man. And he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb. So this rich man, he had, he had like a hundred of them. He had a thousand of them. And none of them were you. And he could do whatever he wanted with one of these. And there was a guest who comes, and the guest is hungry. And it would have been a tradition to prepare some food for that guest. But he's looking around at his 100 or 1,000 little lambs or sheep and like, I don't want to kill any of them. Not for that guy. 
But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So he found that little lamb, the ewe lamb, slaughtered it. The poor man's one lamb killed it and then gave it to the guy who came to visit that he didn't even really like because he wouldn't kill his own lamb for that guy. So it was this useless, stupid, dumb, deranged, dramatic, epic mistake that this guy guy makes. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. Wouldn't you think that's true? What a selfish dummy. So David with his own mouth says, whatever rich man who has everything that he could ever want, when he does to that one man's precious, precious sheep, when he kills that, that man should die. What does Nathan say? And it, or he goes on, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Verse 7, Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. You are the man. See, when David was finally faced with his sin, when he was so clear, held up in front of him, he said, that is the dumbest, most stupid, epic failure ever. Kill the man. And then he looks in his reflection, and he sees, I'm that man. I'm that man. Oh, so look, this is it. When your sin jumps up off Because of something else, someone else, the word of God comes up and shows you, you are the one. It needs to hit home. It's not about someone else's situation anymore. It's about yours. And we should treat it with that type of clarity. And it's easy to kind of dismiss it, to avoid it every day, to just make little of it, to try to hide it. But God comes along sometimes, and he raises up a mirror. And when he raises up the mirror, we should acknowledge it and respond. God is faithful to remind us of truth after our sin. Wow, what goodness. That he doesn't leave us in that dirt. That he sends a man to remind us of truth. Like David was dark. Remember, he had accomplished all that he had set out to accomplish. Stole that woman. Now had a baby on the way. Killed the husband. I mean, he was dark. God could have left him in the darkness He could have left him in that spot, just like us. But he is faithful to send someone to remind us of truth. Is there truth hitting you tonight about your sin? And if so, and you've been wondering where God is, this truth is the evidence of God being here tonight. He's good. He's good. He raises up truth in the middle 
of our darkness. Next bullet, God is faithful to give us right thinking about sin. God is faithful to give us right thinking about a sin. Imagine that. What if David, as dark as he was, would have said to Nathan, you know, honestly, now that you spell the whole thing out, I kind of understand why the guy would kill the poor man's sheep, to tell you the truth. That's actually what he should have said based on his actions. Based on his actions, that's what he should have said. I, I kind of get it, if i got to be honest with you. I think he did the thing that was best for him. He's still got all his 1,000. He's fine. Guest is fed. Other guy had to deal with the consequence. He's good. But God is gracious in that moment to allow David to see the truth. He saw it. It's wrong what happened. It's wrong. Next bullet, God condemns our sin and calls us to repentance. David, you're that man. He condemns that sin and calls him to repentance. So he's not finished with us when he raises up truths. He also is condemning those sins and then calling us to repent. Second Samuel chapter 12 verse 13. Let's see what happens in verse 14. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. You see that? Look at his response. Everybody don't miss it. Don't miss it. He's confronted. His immediate response. You remember Adam and Eve? We talked about this a few months ago. If you were there on a Wednesday night, Eve was confronted with her sin. Him. Adam was confronted with him. Her. Everybody was pointing and shooting all over the place. When David was confronted with his sin, immediately, I have sinned against the Lord. You know what Adam and Eve would have done? Well, she shouldn't have been on the roof taking a bath. That's exactly what they would have done. That's precisely what they did. You shouldn't, I mean, she could, who puts a bath on the roof, Nathan? It's not my fault. Don't you relate to that type of thinking too? Have you ever excused yourself away? Well, I mean, what I mean, what would you do? Like, what can't I all the reasons and excuses, but this is the only appropriate response to God condemning our sin. There it is. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, and what is the Lord's immediate response back? The Lord also has put away your sin, and you shall not die. Go back to the garden. But on that day, you will surely die. There's something connected about leaning in to sin and repenting of it, and God having a response of grace and forgiveness versus looking around and making excuses. And man, that thing just leads to death. And doesn't it feel the opposite, though? Like, when you're confronted with your sin, you, you don't want to acknowledge it as sin, right? You want to, the obvious thing is to hide it. 
to, to not acknowledge it, to blame it. That's the easy thing. The hard thing is to accept responsibility. I don't want to hear about all the other things in people. Let's follow after David's trajectory. I have sinned. It was me. I'm that guy. I'm the one who took the poor man's wife. I'm that guy. And then the response from God is, he's putting away your sin. Often we hide it because we think it's going to be exposed, because we think it's going to make things worse, because we think we're going to get in trouble. And, but before God, before God, he puts the sin away. Now, are there going to be consequences in David's life as a result? Yes. One more verse I think we had on that passage. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord. So, hey, 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 he's put your sin away, but the child who is born to you shall die. So repentance results in forgiveness. First bullet. Repentance results in forgiveness. Second bullet. But another suffers, though we deserve the suffering ourselves. Another suffers, though we deserve the suffering ourselves. Doesn't that sound like Jesus? God tells David, I forgive you, but someone else is going to suffer. That child is going to die. You know, wouldn't it be great if, if every time we confessed our sin, it would just be like, no big deal. Nothing's going to happen. That's not true. There are consequences for sin, but there is better news than you just not getting in trouble. You know, if, if, if the greatest news to you in confessing your sin is that you won't get in trouble, if that's the greatest, most desirable thing, that, well, since I came clean, doesn't that mean I shouldn't get in trouble? If that's the most desirable thing for you, you will never be satisfied with repentance. I want to say it another way. If you think the point of repentance is to not have to suffer consequences, you'll never want to repent. You'll never want to repent. The point of repentance is not that you wouldn't have to suffer consequences. The point of repentance is that you would be forgiven. That like David, God would say, I have put your sin away from you. Like as far as the east is from the west, so far has he separated our sin from us. That's the point of repentance. But another is going to suffer. Who should have died in that situation? Should it have been the baby or should it have been David? Which one? David? I think so. What did the baby do? Innocent? Had, I mean, nothing? He didn't start the fight. It might have been a girl. I don't know. This baby didn't start the fight. The baby died. I think it was a he. The baby died, though David deserved it. You, me, our sin, you know who really deserves the death? We do. But you know who takes on the punishment? Christ takes that on. 
Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Oh, I think we have it up here. Yes. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us because of us in place of us. It's like, man, what a beautiful picture with David and that child of what was coming between David and Christ. A beautiful picture between David and that child that what was coming between me and Christ. Though I deserved it, innocent bystander, never did anything, bystander is the wrong word, but innocent person in the story that seems to not need the punishment, this one inserts himself, Christ does, in my place for my sin. But he's not subjected to it in the way the baby was. This is participation and obedience and leaning into that suffering for me, for you. And if we take our sin and we hide it, think about the silliness of that in light of Christ, who has died for us in our place for our sins so that we could confess the sin, that God would put it away from us through the means that he has chosen, which is Christ, that we would be able to be made new, that we could keep our head up. But instead, we often feeble back and keep our head down. Man, God has put it away through Christ, the one who suffered instead of you. This is good news, y'all. So I want to ask you this question. We're going to get uh, Keith and Seth. Y'all can come on up. We're going to play a little music. And we're going to have a time of repentance. And I want to ask you this question. Has God shown you tonight, much like David saw when Nathan brought the confrontation, has God, God shown you anything in your life tonight? Has he put up a mirror? Have you been dismissing the sin? Have you been trying to search for ways to avoid the consequences? Have you been trying to figure out how not or how you can blame it or insert someone else into the middle so you can kind of, you know, kind of bounce around away? And tonight is a night, if that's you, Tonight is a night of repentance. And here's the good news. God deals with us the same way God dealt with David. There's forgiveness. Putting sin away. But it must be this first. I, I'm that one. You have to be able to raise your hand like David did and say, I'm that person. It's not someone else. It's me. And then as a result of this, there can be and should be a sense of confidence in Christ. Even though you've made mistakes, and look, we will walk with those consequences. But we should have the good news story just like David, because David's life could have ended in that downturn. But, but God was good enough to show him the truth, to remind him of what was true. So he is reminding you tonight. And there can be a moment of repentance where your life, like David's, changes. 
I don't know what he did precisely after all of that stuff, but I know that he met God in that moment, and that shaped his trajectory in the future when he acknowledged his sin. And the same is true for us. And the better news that we have is that Christ has stood in our place for that sin that you have been hiding. Let's all stand up. We're going to sing in a moment. I'd like everyone to just close your eyes. So I'll stay quiet. We're going to illustrate, much like we saw David illustrate, with our eyes closed. And I'm going to ask you guys in a moment, kind of I was raising my hand up as I was saying, I am that man, like David. And if you know you have been confronted with sin, this is not a a moment of salvation that I'm necessarily calling for, though it could be. But this is just more so a moment of acknowledgement of sin. Like when someone calls your name in class and they say, Aaron Vogel, and I raise my hand and I say, here. Like it's kind of like that. So if God has held up his word to you tonight to to remind you of sin in your own life, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you right now, just where you are, just shoot your hand up like, I'm that person, God. I'm that person. You can put your hand down. And we're going to take some some time here now if, if... I would encourage you, certainly, if if you raise your hand, I would love for people, the leaders in this place, to pray for you up here at the front. You don't have to come up um, because I think repentance is done in the heart. It's not done in a place. And so if you're raising your hand, that's just an expression of where your heart is. But if, if you would like prayer and you would like God to meet you, you'd like to spend some time worshiping him, get get out from around your seat and to respond physically to that hand raised to to walk or to move around and to just get into a place. And we'll come find you as leaders and we'll pray for you. But right now, if if that hits you and you raise your hand and you want to, go ahead and slide out of your chair and come on up to the front and we'll take some time and pray with people.
Hey, you know, as you know, a lot of us have already been prayed for. This is a good moment. Like these times, and not necessarily immediately right now, but maybe as we kind of depart in the, in the next bit, um, talking to your friends about what God is doing in your life is a very, very cool opportunity. And so spending some time talking about, man, this is what God showed me tonight. So remember, don't just kind of hop up and get out and go have fun, which we will. But also, like, take a sober moment and ask a friend, like, hey, what's God doing inside of you tonight? Um, and this is how guys build relationships with other guys. This is very important. And this is how gals build relationship with, relationships with other gals. And so, guys, I want you hanging with guys and talk, like, hey, what about you? Gals, hang with gals because we want, we, I like all the guys and gals hanging out together these like deeper moments it's where we forge godly friendships like real godly friendships and so let's let's take that time maybe we'll just let them sit and hang for a few more minutes so y'all can play but but if y'all want to you know as you kind of are finishing up and breaking off feel free to do that i think that would be an encouraging thing to do and um you know in a little bit we'll all kind of break out and and do our variety show just here shortly but, you know, try to spend some time with friends. Maybe we could sing a little bit, something a little bit more up, whatever we could, so we could, like, kind of vibe together a little bit, too. That would be pretty cool.
Hey, y'all, uh, five, ten minutes, do a little restroom break, and then we're going to meet back in here for the variety show. So we'll see y'all soon. Y'all get ready. Get your head on straight for that variety show.
All right, all right. Everybody, uh, we got junior high girls going first. Junior high girls, y'all uh, get ready and come on up. Uh, Y'all grab a seat. Junior high girls, come on up. Everybody else, grab a seat and scoot close. We want everyone to stay close. All right, junior high girls. Everybody else, sit down. If you're not a junior high girl, find a seat. Find a seat. as you can go. We're not going yet. Not yet. All right. Are we missing some girls? Are we missing boys? Where are the boys? Okay. All right, all the junior high boys, y'all get a seat. Get a seat. We're, we're getting started.
All right. Miles, Sebastian, y'all go grab a seat. All right, junior high girls ready? Okay. No, 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 no. What y'all doing? For what? Who? You stay here. Okay. We need to give them. Okay. All right. Shh. Look at somebody say shh. We need to let them perform at their maximum capability. And the way to do that is to make sure that everyone's watching. When we all watch, everyone performs better. All right. So we're going we're gonna to give them silence and respect. And so they can get through their entire thing. And, all, and who are the judges, by the way? Me, me, and me. Steven, me, and Mr. Perry, and Val. And take me out. I don't want to be a judge. Ashley. Ashley, Val, Mr. Perry, and Keith. And Keith. Four judges. Y'all four right here. Yeah. That's right. Huh? Are you in it? You're in it? Oh. All right. She's out. She's a contributor, so she can't be in. Reggie, you're a judge. Oh, gosh. No, they got to be out of high school. We need a girl. Seth, can you, can you be a judge? Seth is a judge. Mr. Perry's a judge. Ashley's a judge. And Keith. Okay. Shh. Look at somebody say shh. All right, y'all ready? All right, shh. Hey, everybody look. Action. Creativity, humor, talent, like, all right, creativity, humor, talent, and improv, and improv. Participation. Participation from the whole group is the fourth one. Participation. Creativity, talent, participation, and, what, and what's the other one? Keith? Humor and humor. All right, everybody, shh, shh. Action.
Right. Um, Henry, Judah, can y'all grab this table and put it on the side over there? Thank y'all. All right, one to five. One to five is the scoring. Seth, you keep the score? One to five are the numbers. All right. We're going to let you know right now. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, I think there needs to be a reveal at the end. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, next up. High school boys. Uh, is anybody going to get three microphones for us? We're not using one. All right. Uh, right before we start, I just want to tell y'all 